What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I had you both. I've had you ever since I can remember. I had you and I wish you both had cancer. Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with us. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 359 of the Stupid Cancer Show kicking off season 17. We are the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor. Coming to you from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every single year. It's one every eight minutes. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. And tonight's show is no exception. Have some empathy. Most people struggle to find the right words when someone is facing a serious medical issue. Enter Emily McDowell, young adult survivor, creator and founder of Emily McDowell Studios, and the genius, and I do mean genius, behind the Cancer Empathy Cards. She created her own now famous empathy cards in response to the loneliness and isolation she felt when many of her close friends and family just disappeared because they didn't know what to say, what to do, or they just only were train wrecks without realizing it. Tonight in Survivor Spotlight, we're going to welcome young adult survivor and conqueror of the seven wonders of the world, Megan Sullivan. And with that, here we go. Mallory, Kenny, Sean. Hello. Welcome back after our summer respite, season 17. Woo. Pretty amazing. Hello. It's been a summer. Dude. I know. I know. Um, I would say that you probably all had interesting summers, but I'm going to say Sean had the most interesting summer because he went to go see Banksy's Dismaland in the UK. It was very dismal. I'm sure it was. I, uh, He's not known for being pleasant. <laughs> it was really cool. I mean, you see a lot of what it is in the photos, but being there was quite an experience. Um, How does one go about building this? It must have cost millions of dollars to build. Who paid for it? I actually have no idea. I, I should be looking that, into that, but it was um, an old seaside resort town called Weston Supermare on the west coast of uh, the UK. Um, and it was a place called the Tropicana. It was like an old 
seawater swimming pool, I believe. Okay. So he used to go there as a kid, Banksy, and just grew up, and it, it was abandoned, and he converted it to this. I mean, I would park. imagine you need like permission to do that. Oh, you yeah. must have gotten some kind of hey, guys, I'm doing this. Uh, world's most famous street artist comes to you and says, "I want to turn this into a theme park." Yeah, they'll do it. I saw so. the line from your your social feed, a huge line, right? Yeah, a queue, as they call a it, the queue. I'm sorry, yeah. European people. That's right. And they hire people. There's real people who work there, right? Yeah, they're they're actors. All, they're all actors. Yeah, they're yeah. All, I have a I do photography a lot, and I have one of the guys um, carrying a big balloon that says "I am an imbecile," <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's looking really pissed and looking right at the camera and giving me a, a middle finger, flipping me off. But they're so. that's part of their role at Disneyland yeah. is to be miserable. Yeah. Is there any legal repercussions for that, or? No, I, I think there, creative. there were a few articles on that in terms of... Michael Eisner, did he visit Michael? <laughs> <laughs> the, the the small print on the all their materials were funny. It was like, no weapons, no et cetera, et cetera, and no legal representatives of the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty funny. That's amazing. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, it was fun. Hey, Mallory, you uh, have a dog? <laughs> yeah, um, yes. That was your she's, summer she's... win. Yeah, she's she's still around. She's still hanging out. She's uh visiting with family at the moment, so all that fun stuff. And you're going to be a resident of Brooklyn soon. No, I'm no longer. A oh, resident, resident of, of the Queens, right, right. No, right. I'm actually going, going to be a resident of Manhattan. <laughs> Staten Island. Oh wait, that's we, we swapped. We swapped. Wait a minute. I so went from Manhattan went, to Brooklyn. And you went from Brooklyn to Manhattan. Yes, <laughs> I will be. Uh, How did that happen? I will be. Hopefully occupying um, Washington Heights. That's a good area. Yeah, it's What's exciting. that, like 166th or 175th or something? 171st. Okay, it was close. So in the up middle there. Of, yeah. I, I could walk the GW Bridge if I so chose. That's like Columbia. You're in good hands there. Yeah, I'm three blocks from Columbia. I feel super safe about that. And the actually. A's there comes right down. Yeah, yeah good for A, you. The A, the C, the one, all the good stuff. Good and for it's you. the biggest New York City apartment that ever existed. Really? Or at least that I've ever heard of, <laughs> at like a thousand square feet. It's not the size of your chair? I, the kitchen is bigger than my last bedroom. Wow. It's great. Well, there you go. It's good times. Mr. Kane, what are you up to? Hmm. Uh, Besides being clean shaven just, and, uh, with a pomp haircut. Living living my dismal life of bemusement. <laughs> well done. Yes. I hear your uh, rumors are you're already planning the road trip for next spring. Uh, since you told me to, yes. The yes. rumors are true. <laughs> Very nice. So the goal is to carve out uncharted territory as I seek to complete all 50 states by the time I'm 30. Well, we got a couple of uh, top of the show announcements before we kick off. Uh, you want to tell us about the uh, fancy new um, thing that you created with the news yeah. feed or whatever? Well, it stems out of our ability to curate content. Uh, I've always had a dream that we would somehow send this out to the masses, and we have done just that. You can go to news with S. Like dot, plural. Plural. Instead of new. New. <laughs> uh, StupidCancer.org and see what we are up to and reading and uh, get some uh, insider information. And it's not Gawker for Cancer, but I just said that. So make of it what you want. Yes. No, it's very cool. And upcoming very soon, two weeks, three weeks, OMG East it is here in New York City. Days away. Twelve days away. Twelve OMG days East away. OMG East in uh, New York City, and the OMG West registration launches very soon too. It will be October. Yeah, pretty amazing. Pretty I, amazing stuff. I think I have plans today, OMG East. What? <laughs> Kenny's gonna be away. <laughs> Problems. And uh, we are uh, hosting our very very first uh, special fundraising event here in New York City called Toast. Special thanks to. Sean and his amazing uh, team building it up with the committee there. Uh, Toast is going to be on October 7th mm -hmm. here in New York City at? It's at the Chester Meatpacking District. And if you want to learn more, uh, make a donation or attend. The website is? Toast.stupidcancer.org. So Toast with us on October 7th. Really big news. And finally, Instapeer is uh, it reached 1,700 uh, beta users in our public phase right now. It's very exciting. We're having... Uh, about 20,000 people chatting with each other every single week, which is pretty fascinating to think what's happening. So if you have not yet downloaded it, uh, we worked out most of the bugs. It's for Android, iPad, iPhone. You can get it in your App Store. New releases just came out yesterday in the App Store, so it's super cool. You just said we had 1,700 people and 20,000 people chatting. 
No, no, 20,000 chats. Right. Messages exchanged. between users. Yes. So if you do the math, 1,600 people are having 20,000 conversations. Or it's your dad having one chat. <laughs> 20,000. 20, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what's happening. And uh, I know, and then uh, this show is actually uh, proudly sponsored, which is always nice. And we have to thank our sponsors, Sigma Tau, Eli Lilly and Company Oncology, and Spencer's Online. Uh, you guys are awesome. We couldn't do this without you. So thank you very much. And with that, let's kick off the show. Let's get Megan on the line. Joining us tonight in our Survivor Spotlight, Megan Sullivan's dream of seeing all seven wonders of the world remain just that, a dream for three years, but it took only one difficult month for it to become reality. Last November, Sullivan, who's 31 years old, fell while rock climbing in Yosemite National Park, uh, and soon after she got hit by a car while riding in the Vespa and then got skin cancer. I'm gonna stay away from her. All in the same month. Anyway, please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Megan Sullivan. Megan. I guess I'm glad that you're 3,000 miles away after having uh, all that bad luck. But it sounds like your luck's turned around. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show. The minute I saw your story hit uh, the, the social universe, I was really inspired. Um, a, because I would never be caught rock climbing or near a Vespa, for that matter. So I really <laughs> admire people who take those risks and really live. Um so before we get to your story, have you always been sort of adventure-seeking? Was that sort of in your DNA? I guess and no. I think it's um, it's been more recent in the last four or five years. Um, I got out of a, a relationship, kind of a long-term relationship, and I think it was one of those things uh, where you kind of go to the extreme a little bit, and that's where I went into it. I got really into rock climbing, so I kind of escaped to Yosemite every weekend uh, just because I didn't really know how to date. So I'd rather not go out on a date and just go and climb rocks. <laughs> so I did that for a good four years. I kind of wonder how that would look on eHarmony. But then again, <laughs> yeah. I've been married for 10 years. Yeah. so I didn't even want to know. I don't, I don't even mess with that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> so I guess I have to ask, have you seen the Reese Witherspoon movie Wild? Yes, I've heard of it. And a lot of people gave me the link to that. And um yeah, I, I still actually, I, I think I watched a few minutes on a plane, but I fell asleep. Uh, but I do, I do need to watch that movie. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> want to draw, you know, compare apples to apples, but it's, it's the story of a woman with a bad marriage and she decides to just go off on her own with a giant backpack with no experience crossing the country with like, you know, sandals. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an electric performance though, but I couldn't help but think of, 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 of that. So you really, uh, I commend you for choosing, we, we use the expression, get busy living here, where you were doing that long before um you know you had uh, you got diagnosed but you, then you fell obviously that's got to be again i'm not an athlete per se in, in any way <laughs> shape or form but if you're an avid rock climber and you fall is that like an emotional thing yeah i think in this case there was a lot going on because i mean rock climbing you accept the risks you know you're going to fall especially um aid climbing but usually it's pretty safe. And what, what happened in this climb is I had been training for the, the climbing El Cap um, in Yosemite Valley for about three years. It was kind of that goal. It's very, it's very similar to training for a marathon, really. Um, and I got to a point where I was kind of testing my luck a little too, too far because I had what we call, I ran out the route, meaning that I placed very minimal gear. And I got to a certain point where I knew I was falling, didn't think it was going to be a big deal because a piece of gear should have caught me about two or three feet later. And then, of course, that piece flew on me. And then I had run out the route so far that I ended up falling about 50 feet. Oh, wow. And that's not normal. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people actually don't survive falls like that. And it was just um, – I was very thankful that I, I didn't hit any ledge. It was a clean fall. Um, my climbing partner, I think was more shocked and, and, um, yeah, he, he didn't sleep for a few nights after that, just having to witness that. Um, and that, that, that fall was definitely a, a, a reawakening of sorts, uh, just cause it was, wow. Um, just, I'm not invincible, you know, um, right. 
I, this could have gotten really bad, but luckily it didn't. So I, I see <laughs> a then, I see a nonprofit forming here of people laying mattresses down at the bottom of cliffs <laughs> as a gesture of good faith. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I was two thousand feet up, so right. I mean, I don't think a mattress would have helped. <laughs> well, it was a nice thought. I'm trying to be. You <laughs> no, know, it was really, I, I really care. Creative. It was a creative thought. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> so you come from the agency world, right? That's your background. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been doing yeah. that for? So I've been with an advertising agency for about over four years now, actually. Um, My background is film production. I I went to film school and then um, got this opportunity to be in a production company within an advertising agency. So kind of a dream job. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get to the nuts and bolts here. You were then, you fell, you got hit by a car. (laughs) And then while recovering from that car, how was your skin cancer detected? Well, so, yeah, this is another thing that happened to me was that um, I tore my knee a year ago, and so I had knee surgery. And I got to a point where I had met my medical deductible, and I thought, oh, I just need to get any kind of anything done while I don't have to pay for it because right. I met my deductible. So I was like, what do I need to do? And I was like, you know, everyone always talks about getting their skin checked. I should probably do that since I go outside a lot. You know, I'm not I'm not a tanner or anything like that. I just I know I go outside and climb and all that kind of fun stuff. So it was completely it was one of those let me let me write a list of everything medically wrong that could actually be possibly wrong with me and let me I, I should get that checked out. Just run out the clock and see how many doctors you can see. Like speed doctor yeah. dating, yes. Exactly. So then I um so then I made the appointment, but it was three months prior because sometimes it's pretty hard to get into dermatologists. Um, and so it was one of those things where it just happened to this appointment came during like, what was it? I fell off the rock a week later, I got hit by a car and then my appointment just, you know, the appointments I scheduled three months ago um, came along and I was like, well, again, I'm getting pretty used to the ER right now. So I don't choose <laughs> appointment. It's just right up my alley. Right. So the best part was actually going in and then they do the full, um, you know, skin check and you should have seen my skin at this point. I mean, it looked like, well, it looked like I fell 50 feet and got hit by a car. So my, uh, dermatologist was, was kind of like, are you, are you sure you're okay? Right. Is everything <laughs> going okay in your life? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it just by chance, uh, I had this mark at the top of my forehead, and I, and I didn't really think anything of it. To be honest, I thought it was the pimple that went wrong, and it was just taking a really long time to heal. It was just this red mark, and she didn't even catch it. And it wasn't until the end, for pure vanity's sake, that I asked for some kind of cream that might be able to clean it up. And she, you know, took at, took a look at it again, and you know, asked how long it had been there. And, you know, before I know it, I was thinking, oh, I guess it's been six months since it's been there. And um, she did a biopsy right then. And the funny thing about that was cause I didn't think it was going to be anything. So, But the biopsy, I had to I had a shoot um, on Monday for the, the Mockingjay premiere. So I had to be on the red carpet. And all I kept thinking was that I was going to have this massive bandage right. on my forehead while I had to ask people these interview questions. Um, and then it turned out that I found out that it was basal film on Monday, that following Monday. Well, we, we do a lot of shows on, on cancer, and we talk about melanoma and skin cancer and basal cell carcinomas as gateways mm-hmm. to difficult, you know, more invasive diagnoses. I commend you on having sort of the wherewithal to consider that your, you know, dermatology matters. We, especially in, I'm, you're, for quantifying that you don't tan. I mean, I feel like there's almost a guilt there that people have to say, but I don't tan. But there are so many laws out there that are now banning minors from tanning because that's all they do. And they're getting like, they're not even getting the skin cancer. It's jumping right to melanoma. So props to yeah. you for having that. But again, um, the dermatologists have another level of conversation going on now about how do you take this seriously with skin cancer being the number one cancer in the world. It just doesn't have the same level of, you know, invasiveness that melanoma or like thyroid cancer or things that, that would have. Um, but what were your, what was your reaction immediately following that? I, immediately. I was, I was pretty much in shock because I, 
again, I, it was on, it was a situation where I was on set. So I was at work and I was just having to go down to hair and makeup in like 15 minutes. And I got this call. And again, you get the call and you think, wait, what? Like you think it's just going to be like, Oh, okay. We got your results. Everything's cool. Um, and then, you know, it was the, Oh, you know, it is cancer. We need to schedule an appointment immediately to get it surgically removed. And it's that, wait, what? Right. No, mm-hmm. like this doesn't happen to me. Like what? And um, so I was, I was in shock. And then, you know, luckily my, my stepfather is an oncologist up in Seattle. And so immediately I, I called him, but he wasn't available until about earlier that afternoon. And this was in the morning. So I, I, I didn't know how serious it was. And, you know, obviously I wanted to talk to him so that he could talk to them and all that fun stuff. So yeah, it was, and then I think leading just all the prior events that had happened to me the last two weeks, it, had, it finally was like the, the, the third thing that happened that was like, are you kidding me? Really? I thought, I thought I had all, had all my bad luck for, you know, the year. Right. <laughs> yeah. So those hours between you having, fortunately having, uh, I'm sorry, an uncle? Uh, stepfather. Stepfather, as an oncologist, mm-hmm. the hours between leaving him the message and him calling you must have been insane. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, I had to put a strong face on and go straight to work and act like nothing was wrong. Right. But, yeah. Um, but luckily, you know, when I got on the call with him, he was like, yes, this sucks. But of all cancers, this is the best one you can have, right. you know, and, and, you know, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. So, and then he himself was like, so glad that you actually went in. Right. Because a lot of times you'll just see this, you will go unnoticed for a very long time and it could have even gotten worse. So, well, there's yeah. a, but I mean, so a couple of things in your favor here, it was right in your face. A lot of times, you know, these things pop up in parts of your body that you cover up or you don't see all the time. Yeah. And it it wouldn't be like top of mind, pun intended, you know, to be something yeah. to be concerned about. Let alone having to be proactive. I like your message, you know, of, of uh, sort of. I mean, we we talk about self exam a lot in youth, but it's it's not the same thing. This isn't like a breast exam or a testicular cancer self exam. This is knowing your skin and being aware of your behavior. If you are exposed outdoors a lot, if you're even indoors, you can still get it that hats don't work and shirts don't work. But, you know, how, how would you let, – let's just talk to the next step then because we've got about – maybe I have about the 10 minutes left here. Um, so you're comforted by your stepfather, and he tells you that uh, everything's going to be okay. How was it treated? You had the surgery, and mm-hmm. what did, was there – how do they do that? Is it plastic surgery? They, they cover up the scar nice and neat these days? Yeah, so I went and saw the plastic surgeon, and I, I think that was the other thing is that at first when they said plastic surgeon, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to have a scar. This is going to be great. <laughs> and maybe they'll give me a nose job. I don't know. Right. Um, and then I, I got there, and, you know, you have the, the pre-op, you know, and, uh, and the person I was talking to, she, she talked about how, you know, you have to clear the margins. So you get it removed, and then they test the area around the skin that right. they removed. Um, and then, you know, but be prepared that you might have to go through more than a couple rounds. Like, so basically I showed up at 7am and they wanted me to block out the entire day till 5pm. Right. And meaning, and then, so, you know, I'm asking, so how big can this scar actually be? And, you know, and then she kind of, I mean, she was honest. She, she said that, you know, if you go through four rounds, I mean, it can be pretty significant, you know, measured it out on my forehead to tell me and and that's when I kind of freaked out a little bit. Because, right. again, going back to the whole vanity thing, it's like, am I going to have a scar in the middle of my forehead? And then, um, but then, and then I asked, but it's, it, you know, it's plastic surgery, so you can cover up the scar, right? And she's like, well, no, you'll still see the scar. Oh, great. Like, oh, cool. So then I had, um, the surgery wasn't for another week. And so in my head, I just kept on having these nightmares about this gnarly scar that I was going to have. But right. As I got closer to the appointment, I think I, I was okay with it because it was like at least I can rock the scar. It's, right, it would be a cool story. Badge and of honor. And luckily, I um I cleared the margins first round, so it's it's fairly it's fairly small. Um, and I can cover it up with makeup because I'm a girl, so that's good. <laughs> no, that that is. I mean, again, like we, we talk about. I mean, our our 
message in cancer is that there there really are no good cancers and everyone's experience is the learning opportunity for someone else. And it's not about mm-hmm. how how much worse or better it is for anybody else because all of our stories matter because all of our stories can make a difference for someone else. So Yeah. So in your case, yes, we're thrilled that it wasn't worse, but it's an opportunity to educate. And that is sort of what you're doing these days, right? Exactly. And I've had what's been really cool is just people coming up to me. Um, I had a friend talking about her mother who just had basal cell and it was on the top of her head and she didn't notice it for years. So it became actually much more gnarly um, because, again, top of your head, you just don't see it. But she was a marathon runner. So she, you know, was constantly in the sun. And the thing is, especially hair, and that's what you start to realize as, you know, a guy or girl, is that, you know, the hair isn't a sunscreen, you know. And if you're, if you're constantly outside, like, you need to protect with some sort of form. And, and, and she thought that my story was really cool because even though, I mean, the dermatologist said I was, you know, I'm pretty young to have this type of skin cancer. But at the same time, I think it was a good reality check because I am protecting myself like crazy now when I go out in the sun because it's not worth it, you know. And and that was the same thing when my friend's mom had the surgery and realized how big it became. It was It's all about preventative care and then also going in and getting your skin checked once a year because it is one of those things that you'll kind of put off. And, and I'm guilty of it, too. The only reason I went in was because I had a zero deductible. But, right. Um, it right. is really important because it could have been a lot worse. No, and it's good. And the one thing I'll point out is one of my uh, dear friends is the head of dermatology at New York University, and she always talks about the understanding that skin cancer is kind of like an iceberg sometimes, and you just see the top, mm-hmm. but it can be very invasive. So kudos to you on getting in round one done. So in our in our two minutes left, where are you at <laughs> these days? Um, and you know, I, I love your your hashtag is that live more now clearly. And mm-hmm. your goal to do the seven wonders of the world. Yeah. So, yeah, the seven wonders of the world was a dream that I had, you know, three years ago. And it wasn't until, you know, after this gnarly month that I had that I realized, you know, what better time to do this trip than now. And um, because it's like I feel like you can always make excuses of why you can't do something. Um, and I was, you know, for the past three years talking about, oh, I have a new job. I should really focus on this. I should focus on this. And instead, you know, on a whim, it was like, yeah, you know, life is short. Uh, this is the biggest dream I have currently in my life right now. I'm going to do it. And that was that was the whole Seven Wonders thing. And um, currently, yeah, I have this whole concept of, yeah, living more now because it's the thing is, is that we really only have this one life, um, not to sound like a public service announcement here, <laughs> but it is true. And you choose every day how you want to live that. And, you know, I live in, I mean, I work in an agency, which can be kind of, you have definite ups, definite downs. Clients can be hard and difficult. Coworkers can be hard and difficult, but it's, it's the way you make of your day every day. So it's, if you come in with a bad attitude, you're going to have a bad day. But if you come in with a great attitude, you're going to have a better day. And that's the same with just an activity you want to do. Um, my big thing is I love to go out to Yosemite every weekend. And, yes, that's a lot of driving. But to me, it's worth to get out of the city and have this amazing adventure every weekend than to sit home and, you know, watch TV or something like that. So my whole thing is live more now, you know, every day. Live life to the fullest. And how can people find you on Instagram? What's your handle? Meg the Legend. <laughs> I can't think of any better way to finish this interview with the, the, at Meg the Legend. Megan Sullivan, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We look yeah, forward to uh, you. having you involved in our movement. Good luck. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, Kenny. And now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own meetup, check out stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. We've got some events happening across this great nation. We have Urbandale, Iowa, Dedham, Iowa, Hallandale Beach, Florida, San Diego, California, Arvada, Colorado, Apple Valley, Minnesota, 
and Sacramento, California. That's amazing. Very yeah. impressive. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers now. Instapeer.org. We launch a news feed weekly email on our site, news.stupidcancer.org. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at news. News, plural, <laughs> dot stupidcancer.org. Cancer is expensive. Check out cancermademebroke.com. That's cancermademebroke.com. Our national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Again, cancermademebroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new stupid cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And And that that is your stupid cancer news. All right. This is exciting. Our main segment here. Emily McDowell joining us live in studio. Writer, illustrator, CEO, and founder of an award-winning stationery and gift company, Emily McDowell Studio. She is a Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. And this May launched a line of empathy cards which is taking the world by storm i am so thrilled to welcome here staring her in the eyes in the face right here live in the stupid cancer studio emily mcdell hello Hello. oh my goodness it's like a celebrity sighting here at stupid cancer headquarters um i'm thrilled that you were able to be here in new york and join us live in studio we love our in studio guests well thank you so much for having me no it's you're a big deal um, <laughs> weird. I know it is weird. Get used to it. You 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 did something. It worked. They say the success is the one mistake that went right. <laughs> so all you had to do was get cancer and look at that. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So let's start with that. I mean, Hodgkin's lymphoma. There is no good cancers, and I'm sure you heard that too. No, there is yeah. no good cancer. But I, I did hear that a lot. That yeah. was a, that was a thing. Like, so talk us through what was your life like beforehand? What were you doing? I we were talking before the show. You're in the agency world. I was. This was actually pre-agency world. Oh, okay. I was 24, um, and I was actually working in San Francisco at a startup called the Industry Standard, uh, which was a, a weekly magazine that was around uh, from, I want to say, 96 to 2000. And I was diagnosed um, in 2000, and at the time I was working a lot um, and had this great so it was the sort of internet economy bubble the first time in, uh, in I remember San those days, so yes. Really, like, to this day, the most amazing job I've ever had. And, mm-hmm. I, like, I own a company now, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. so that was a really good job. Yes. Um, and uh, I was traveling a lot, working a lot, um, had a totally misguided idea of what having a job was like because I got lots of, you know, tons of free sushi and oh, yeah. an unlimited expense I had ski trips, too, back then. Oh, too. totally. Yeah. yeah, I had yeah. an Amex that I didn't even see the bill. I know. You know, like, what was that? Those were good days. It was great. <laughs> uh, I missed that. Um, and um, I'd been going, I had been feeling, I'd basically been feeling like crap for two years, and I'd been going to the doctor, uh, and I went to various doctors, and nobody could, nobody really could pinpoint what was wrong, and people kept saying, oh, you have, maybe you have chronic fatigue, or you have fibromyalgia, or you have, you know, maybe Lyme disease was another sort of thing. And right. I got a couple of prescriptions for like Vicodin. I mean, it was it was just sort of generalized like, oh, yeah, you eventually. And I, and I even had a doctor say at one point, like, eventually something will probably come to light. And, and <laughs> you know, we just don't. Same as last yeah, words. We just don't yeah. know what it is. Right. You know? And I was like, all right, well, cool. I'm just going to go back to work now because I guess, you know, I, I have stuff to do and yeah. I can't really just keep going to doctors who don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. so so um, this is this comedy of errors for how many months oh it was like two years oh, two years you know, this wow. Was really, yeah, wow starting wow. right you know like maybe maybe within the six months after i graduated college right um, and then um it's just, it's sort of a weird long story i presented with a bunch of symptoms that are really atypical for hodgkins and sure. i didn't have any of the symptoms that are normal like dancing totally like (laughs) spontaneous dancing yeah Yeah, no it was it was like i had this it was uh i was actually ended up being admitted to the hospital because i had this um 
this skin rash on my legs that turned into this crazy infection. And um, they thought at first that I had some sort of like Ebola-like communicable disease. I was in That's isolation. That's the best misdiagnosis ever, Oh my ever, God, by it the was way. the best. Yes. It was... <laughs> It really was the good cancer after yeah, that. Yeah. So, um, I was, <laughs> Anything uh, better than Ebola. Right? I know. That should be one of your cards. Thank God it wasn't Ebola. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I ended up being, I was at the hospital, I was in the hospital for two weeks before I was actually diagnosed. Wow. Uh, and they ended up just doing, um, eventually just started doing kind of full body x-rays and CTs because they just didn't know, they couldn't figure it out. You were a lab experiment. And I was yeah. a lab experiment. And actually, it was even, they let me go. They did a, they did like a full body CT scan and then uh, the floor nurse let me go. Um, and Where was this, by the way? UCSF. Okay. In San Francisco. Right. Uh, and they were like, you know, you're good. Like you're, you know, you're stable. Keep taking these antibiotics and you know, you're, you're go home. And so I went, uh, I went, I went out to eat actually with my boyfriend at the time. And we got a call while we were out to eat from the doctor saying, uh, they screwed up and they let you go home before we actually read the results of your CT and you need to come back to the hospital. Well, that's a quality so, message. right yeah. there. Yeah. So it was like, all right. So went back and, um, I had a tumor that was about the size of a baseball in my mediastinal cavity. And so they figured... And that doesn't belong there. No. <laughs> no. It turns out <laughs> it doesn't. And so, Note to self. Yep. Right. So they figured, and they, so they figured it was some sort of lymphoma, and you know, then they had to biopsy it and, and readmitted me and, right. and figured out it was Hodgkin's. And, wow. So then the, uh, the rabbit hole right. opens up. Yep. And you get uh, swallowed down the hole. Yep. And can you talk us through what the next couple of weeks looked like for you? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, um... It was, I mean, this was 15 years ago, so it, it, it's not exactly fresh in my memory, but, but I do, I mean, of course, it's a, it's a couple of weeks that you know, don't ever forget. Right. Because you just, uh, you suddenly feel like an alien who's been put, you know, in or, or a person put into an alien planet, I guess right. is kind of mm-hmm. how I felt. Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, there, nothing in my life resembled anything from the previous day. Yep. And so it was like, well, you know, um, and I was... Also, you know, this infection that I had, um, I was really sick. I mean, my, my, um, I couldn't, I didn't wear shoes for seven months because the, these, this infection on my feet, um, was, it, it was, it was gross and it sort of opened up and it was, it was this whole, it was a, it was a bad scene. Thank God Instagram didn't exist back then. Right. Um, it was, (laughs) it was a bad, bad, I was like an exhibit at the National Dermatology conference at the grand rounds um because it was so weird and uh, i'm thinking i have in my mind like that 1918 surgical you know atrium of them no seriously i mean it was it was it was crazy and you know all my stuff was in a teaching hospital too so these they would be like 20 med students coming in and being like oh my god does that hurt you know like asking (laughs) questions like it was like yeah like what do you think you know like um and uh it was uh so yeah so it was it was two weeks, you know, and I, so I'm, I've got these bandages up to my knees and I'm wearing like bunny slippers cause I can't wear shoes mm-hmm. and I'm trying. You're how to, old at this time? 24. Right. Okay. And you know, I'm trying to figure out, we, my boyfriend and I were living in San Francisco and it, it was clear, like I wasn't going to be able to work during treatment and it was like, we don't, the one, the, the there were many really, there were many very lucky things about this, and one of them was that I had great health insurance. Right. Um, and so through I, an employer, through yes, through my employer. Yeah. Um, through with all that venture capital, they got me really good health insurance. Wow. Yeah. And the other well, thing that was there. that was very fortunate and strange was that when I was filling out my um, intake paperwork to become a new employee. I checked the box that said, "Do you want long-term disability insurance?" Which I, I don't, you know, as a 24-year-old. Or, Why would you, you know, think that? 22 yeah. when I started mm-hmm. there, yeah. I don't know, you know, and I didn't even remember doing it. But yeah. I, but I said yes, I would like, you know, six dollars taken out of my paycheck every month for this, and so I had, I think it was 75% of my salary for that whole year. Um, that it's I like was accidental employee benefits. Totally. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up moving. Uh, I'm from Boston originally, and and um, the best at the at the time, the best Hodgkins Hospital, and it still may be, in the country was the Dana Farber, right? Um, which was covered under my insurance, and so I I we moved. My boyfriend came with me, 
and we left our jobs and, and life in San Francisco and, and you flew east east yep um, and then you know had to figure out where to live and and how life was going to work um, well everything you're talking about like these are difficult things to do yeah. at that age when you're well right <laughs> right, right let right, alone right yeah. Um, uh, first of all, props to your boyfriend for sticking with you at the I time. I know, I know. He was really fantastic, and we are not no longer together, but we were together for eight years and are still friends. And he, um, he was, he really was my main support system for the duration of my illness. I mean, right. he took me to every doctor's appointment, every chemo, every everything, mm-hmm. um, and really, you know. And there were times when I was like, "Will you please leave?" Um, because yeah. you're not living your life. Like I, I don't necessarily want you to come with me. That's a like reverse guilt that a lot of patients feel. Oh, for their, super yeah. guilty. I mean, right. I felt, you know, when when we were when he was had decided, I'm going to come with you, I'm leave, I'm going to leave San Francisco and leave this job and come with you and do this. I, you know, I really was like, I don't know if I want you to do that, right? Um, because I, I felt incredibly guilty um, that he would put his life on hold to be with me. I, uh, I was just reading your bio here. Oh, yeah. One of the things that stuck out when I was when Mallory was uh, writing this yesterday um, was this notion of stigma mm. and what we all face in general with cancer. But why is it so different? Why do we exist? Why, what is stupid cancer about? What are you about? We're kind of we're, we're disrupting this idea of what it means to look sick, to feel sick, to act sick, and what the country and the average people don't know to do right. when they think they want to be, you know, gregarious or, or somewhat sensitive. And I just love that you were called Sir at Starbucks. Oh, yeah. That, that just I, You have to tell that story. I'm sure did it happen more than once. For a oh, it happened constantly. <laughs> you know, it happened constantly. And it was just like, you know, because there was a there was a Starbucks, of course, because we live in America and there's a Starbucks <laughs> every seven feet. Yes. There was a Starbucks. Uh, near where I was living, and so uh, one of the like one of the four things that brought me joy was to walk down and, and get a coffee, and right. um, you know, and but yes, the the number of times that I was called sir mm-hmm. uh, at that Starbucks is you know was heavy. Yeah, yeah. So you you lost your hair. Mm-hmm. What were the other uh, typical or atypical things that you had gone through? Did you gain uh, weight? You lose weight? Did you weight was um, about the nausea? Same. Yeah, nausea was, you know, nausea was pretty bad. You know, the only the only food that I ever wanted to eat for the whole 7 months that I was having chemo was McDonald's vanilla soft serve and cranberry juice. Wow. Um which was not a really nutritious. No. Like, I don't know that. Well, it's it's <laughs> it starts nutritious because there's dairy and, and and fruit, right. but then it goes downhill. Oh, right it goes there. south yeah. really yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was like the opposite of a macrobiotic diet. Yeah. Um yeah, no. I um you know, I definitely had that thing where st- where things that normally taste good taste terrible, and things that you don't. I mean, I, I I'd never really cared about soft serve or cranberry juice yeah. prior. You know, just um, kind of the surge. Right. It was. You know. Did uh, you have the ABVD treatment? I did. Okay. I did. That's yep. Well, it worked. It, yes, it did. <laughs> it did. Um, so I wanna I wanna um, uh, pivot now because what you're doing today is so endemic of of how younger people are disrupting the cancer experience and and thinking about this from the perspective of like the 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 hilarity of it and that it's actually acceptable to be funny and 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 um a little sardonic Mm -hmm. about these experiences and you're out 15 years now yeah so even still there are people that are doing this in treatment we see people doing you know lip syncing of you know macklemore in in the infusion units and, yeah. like, and movies and films i mean we both come from advertising and, and just to see how pop culture is absorbing cancer we look at like me earl and the dying girl mm-hmm. and chasing life on abc family 50 50 with seth rogan was a turning point in cancer comedy uh, what's been your your assessment of this how does how do you feel that why is this all happening? And we've both been, I'm at 20 years, you're at 15 years. We've seen the birth of this. Um, you know, I think it's happening because people really got tired of the way that cancer was was treated and seen in our culture. I mean, it really doesn't. When I was sick, um, there was no stupid cancer. There were no organizations for young people. There was nothing that I felt like I could relate to at all. I mean, I remember going to a couple of wellness community meetings and being the only person there under 60 
and just coming out of there feeling worse than I'd felt going in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really, and when I, and, and after my treatment was over and when I went into remission, my attitude at the time was, I just want to put this behind me and I don't necessarily want to incorporate cancer survivorship into my public identity. I don't really like, because it was kind of a thing that my personal experience with it was that it made 99% of other people very uncomfortable. Yes. And so I was like, and, and so a lot of the time when I would talk about it or when it would come up or when it would be, you know, I would be in front of someone's face, uh, clearly sick, you know, you find as a patient that you, you lose, you use your own energy to try to make other people feel better or more comfortable about your illness. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, from what it seems to me, um, people as the internet has happened and as it's become easier and easier for communities to form around things like illness around things where people are geographically not connected to each other but are connected by circumstance Mm -hmm. um, it's having having these support networks and having other people to talk to and realizing like Oh yeah, this is a universal thing. Like this isn't just me. I'm not on an island. Right. There's no, all of these it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And all and there are so many other people who are feeling the same way that I'm feeling and now I'm able to communicate and connect with them. Right. And I think as that's happened, it sort of opened the door to wider discussion of that in pop culture and feeling like Right. Oh, this is really what this is like instead of this sort of behind closed doors like I don't know if we should talk about that. Right. I I I was diagnosed in the 90s, in, in 95, 96, and I, I hung my head in shame. I didn't talk to anybody for mm-hmm. years about this. And it wasn't until I was able to um, start playing piano again, which was my, my career at the time before I was diagnosed, that I felt okay coming out of that closet. And even in doing that, it made people even more uncomfortable. Granted, it was around the time, 2000, 2002, 2003, where this wasn't a discussable thing. It was still like almost the Whispers yeah. campaign from thousands of years ago. And I just look to how far we've come in 2015 here where there's a podcast with millions of people. There's all these cancer podcasts out there. There's all these cancer stories in pop culture, uh, in the media. And and yet we still see the Dying Kids commercials on television. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, but I, what, what you have chosen to do, and I, I, I want to get into where did this idea because these are things that live in our head, the empathy card mm-hmm. concept. We, we all think these, there's all these funny cancer top ten lists of what you shouldn't say to people. And, and in, in, in terms of content, we live in an age of content now. So everyone's yep. content is public. mentioned the internet being a thing today that wasn't there 10 or 12 years ago for us. Um, what was the moment where you realized that you didn't necessarily have to be quiet about this? I mean, it's perfectly acceptable that people want to put this behind them. But now you're wearing it on your sleeve. Right. Where, how did that transformation happen? Well, that transformation happened. I mean, there are a couple different things, different components to it. I mean, first of all is that I launched this, this brand, um, my Emily McDowell Studio, uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and it started out as greeting cards and now we're gifts too. But, but really the, the point of it and the purpose behind it and all of the work in my brand is about telling the truth and it's about and, and what I sort of said when I was starting and that's still true is if these are cards for the relationships we have and not the relationships we wish we had right and when I started this I saw an opportunity within within greeting cards specifically to do something different um, and to do something that was disruptive and that was uh, that was relatable and that was um, you know not necessarily aspirational and you know that that reflected different kinds of relationships like not just like oh i love you on valentine's day but like oh we're kind of dating but not really dating but i should get you something because it's valentine's day so here you go <laughs> you know and so i had this so i had this this platform and this brand right and um i but this was a yeah. natural extension of your career. Yes. So, uh, yes, I worked in advertising for about 10 years. Um, and so I really honed my skills in terms of learning how people think and learning how to identify a concept and an idea that is a sort of universal truth. Right. Um, and how to translate that into something that people relate to. And in 2011, 2011 was a big turning point for me. I... Um, that was the year that I quit my, my last full-time agency job. 
Uh, and it was also the year that my college roommate and a very close friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer and passed away three months later. And it was a big turning point for me. Is that the first time it kind of crept back up yes, on you? Absolutely. Okay. In that, you know, I had put the, I had really put cancer very much behind me mm-hmm. and I didn't think about it very much. You know, I was, of course, like scared for several years after remission well, and yeah, all that, that stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of my day to day existence, it was not um, a cancer survivor. If you had to have me list five things about my identity, it would not have really made it into that top five. Right. It was something that I had put behind me. But here a trigger shows but up then, in your life. Right. But then Amy got sick and um, it, and it and what happened was it became really clear to me. One of the things that was the hardest thing, I think probably the hardest thing for me about being sick myself was the feelings of loneliness and isolation that happened. And feeling like nobody knew what to say, nobody knew what to do. Um, A lot of people who'd been close to me basically bailed just because they were afraid and they didn't, they had no idea, you know, how to handle that. And I was sort of the first person you know, among my friends that had been sick that anybody knew, you know, uh, up until that point, I think illness had been something, cancer had been something that was like a grandparent, not even people's parents, you know, Mm -hmm. we were really young. And um, that was really, that was really difficult. And it took a long time for me to realize that it wasn't about me. And it wasn't like, oh, people don't care about you. But it was more just that there's so much fear. People just didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so when Amy got sick, um, what what ended up happening? And how did was, you know her? She was my college roommate. Okay, we went to undergrad together. Uh, one of my college roommates, and a lot of um, a lot of our mutual friends ended up kind of turning to me and saying, "How do I? What do I say to her?" And I realized, and it was really like, <laughs> it seems so silly, but it was like, oh, you know, this experience that I had that I worked so hard to put behind me is actually something that. I can really that I could use to help other people. I mean, right. I can be sort of a, a cancer translator here, um, <laughs> you know, in a I way like that, that, yeah. that other people that other people can't. And um, so that was um, that was like a huge like, well, duh, of co- you know, of course. And um, and so that year, I also ended up quitting my job and. And feeling like, you know, there's something else that I want to do. I, d- I have no idea what it is, but right. I don't know that it, y- The this calling was upon you. Yeah, and yeah. it was, you know, just, I got to do something else here. And um, I ended up starting this, I, I started, I had, an, I had an Etsy store on the side, and then I ended up launching this, this brand um, in 2013 in a big way um, for wholesale and based on the success of sort of a viral Valentine card. Right. And I have had this, I had the empathy card idea at the time. Mm -hmm. um, And I, but I deliberately decided, you know, I'm going to just hold on to this for a little bit because I think that uh, I want to launch this brand and I want to just be very careful that I don't come out with a whole bunch of these because I think that this is sort of a big idea and I don't want to do this in the beginning of this brand because then I worry that I'll be pigeonholed as. The cancer card guy. Cancer card girl. And I don't want that. That's not what I want to do. Um, And I also want to give myself the opportunity to build this a little bit because I think that I think that I have I think I'm onto something here. And I think that this empathy card thing is is if it hits the right audience will be very big. Well, it's it's so multi. There's so many verticals to it, too. It's not just like if you can disrupt Valentine's Day. It's like, are we dating? Because here's a card like the the idea of that is, is amazing. I, I ascribe to the, the Steve Jobs philosophy of business, which is don't give people what they want. Give them what they didn't know they could have. Right. And you're telling – this is what – even for – I'm 20 years old. This is amazing. These are – I want to just read some of these on the air. If you haven't – what's the website? If people can it's check just, them out. It's emilymcdowell.com. Emilymcdowell.com. So there, there's a card here. Um, Please let me be the first to punch the next person who tells you everything happens for a reason. That's That's exactly – that's it. Here's That's another it. one. One chemo, one more chemo down. Let's celebrate with whatever doesn't taste disgusting. It, it, they're so on par. They're so, well, this just sucks. I wish I had a better way to say it, but my brain feels totally st- stuck right now. But I just want you to know that even though I might not always have exactly the right words, you will always have me. So I'm not going anywhere. So I hope you're cool with that. It's just honest. Yes. And it's just honest. So let me, let me take the next, uh, we got about, uh, 
five or six minutes left. Empathy has become a big thing now. Mm-hmm. And, and the, it, it, I, I was even struck before talking with the show that there's an, a discipline now about understanding empathy and teaching empathy yes. and imparting empathy because people can feel it, not know what it really means or what it is. Talk to us about how this embodies that philosophy. Well, you know, when we were coming up with what to call these cards, um, because they were the internal name for them while we, while we were developing them was just like illness cards or cancer cards or, yeah. you know, um, and sympathy to me is sort of like, oh, poor you. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and empathy to me is more like. Let me. There's this. There's this really beautiful. Let, let me get down in this hole with you, and let like let's talk through this. Like right. I'm with you, and not just like I'm sort of looking down at you. There's this really awesome uh, Brene Brown, who's who is fantastic, um, and who has done a, a ton of research and, and written several books about um, shame and empathy and um, vulnerability. There's this somebody created a, a cartoon that that illustrates the difference between empathy and sympathy that is uh i think it's an i think it's a it goes along with a passage from one of her books that is so great and it's sort of it's a person or i think it's a bear down in a hole and 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 sympathy is like people walking by uh up up on the ground and like peering down into the hole and being like i'm so sorry you're in that hole oh that must really suck for you like okay like bye and just walking you know and then the empathy person gets a ladder and climbs down in and sits next to the, the person in the hole and mm-hmm. you know says I see you here in this hole and I I am with you in this experience and right and and I, one of my takeaways from this is and I, again you said it so eloquently before it's um what to say when you don't know what to say right how does that manifest itself through this um are the are these cards the embodiment of that because it, is it I don't really know how to talk to you about this, but I'm here for you. But here's a card. Sometimes, yes. you know, some of them are. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, some of them are, I think some some of the ones that are more about uh, sort of joking about like the, like the one you just picked up. Um, read that one. I'm so sorry you're sick. I want you to know that I will never try to sell you on some random treatment I read about on the Internet. Right. So I th- there are a few of these that are very specific to very common experiences that people who are ill, whether it's cancer or, or right. whatever it is, mm-hmm. hear all the time. And those have really resonated with people because it's someone validating their experience in life. Right. Like in, in this way for the mm-hmm. first time. I mean, it's like why like I love Amy Schumer and it's because I feel like I'm 40 years old. And for the first time, someone on TV understands what it's like to be me. Right. And that's mm-hmm. how these, you know, I, th- I think that that's that these were able to achieve some of that right. um, with the feedback that we've gotten from people. So by the sheer merit of giving this to somebody who didn't know it was possible for them to think someone else understood in right. a way, the, by the merit of just giving them the card, you are endowing empathy. You are right. Exactly. You're saying you are by by sharing an experience, you're say, you're sort of in on the joke. Right. You know, and you're saying like. I get this. I get that this happens to you. Right. I see your reality. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in there with you. I'm not just walking by and waving down at you. You know. Right. And, and we we if you uh, every now and then on our wall we post these mantra ish things that you may have seen. But one of them that did really well was, you know, it's cancer not cooties. You can touch me. Mm-hmm. You know. So, th- so I mean that's cancer specific. But we have many friends in like the um, the uh, fibromyalgia and the lupus universe. Like it's just the misunderstanding of what it means to not be, quote, normal or, right. quote, healthy and the perceptions therein of stigma. Um, so this has really become a big deal in the last couple of You met Robin Roberts. You've been on television. What, what has it meant to you as someone now 15 years out that you're helping someone just like you to know that they're not alone and that it's okay and there's a community and that the Internet didn't exist when you and I were sick, but now it is enabling us to be who we need to be for others. It, I, it's been tremendously meaningful. I, I, you know, I honestly don't re- even really have words to, to say how it feels to have, you know, to have had these received this way and to know that um, 
you know, here we've had thousands of emails of personal stories of people saying how this affected them or someone gave me this or I gave this to my friend. And it's just it's been um, it's been just really incredible um, and really sort of caused me to rethink um, what's possible in terms of, you right. know, in, 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 in terms of how I'm looking at my own personal experience and my life and uh, the, some of the things I've I've been through and so the website is uh, emilymcdowell.com the hashtag is empathy cards mm-hmm. right that's a it, and I checked like you're getting a ton of attention to the hashtag empathy cards uh, nothing sums up what you you're, what you're doing here again this is so not about cancer specifically but it applies to people who resonate with these messages and it, it's as simple as this card just says here there is no good card for this I'm so sorry and that's sometimes all you need to say when yep. you don't know what to say. Right. So you're done good. Thank this is you. incredible stuff. What, what do we? What, what's the future like? Tell us what you can you uh, share with us some plans. Sure. Um, well, there, there'll be more empathy cards. We release cards uh, twice a year in January and May, so there'll be an, a, another round. Do you write them? Do you have a team of writers? I write them. Okay. I write and illustrate every everything we do currently. Oh, so you're talented too. So, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, so there'll be more cards in January, um, and then I'm also I'm working actually with a um, with a with an amazing woman named Kelsey Crow who runs an organization in um, the Bay Area called Help Each Other Out, which does empathy boot camps, uh, sort of empathy workshops, various organizations um, around schools, hospitals, business places, um, and she and I are working on a empathy book, um, which is basically the the book version. It takes sort of the idea behind these cards of, of what to say when you don't know what to say. And, uh, and, and we're creating an illustrated, fun, I mean, as, as much fun as you can make this topic, um, you know, it, it sort of how-to handbook for what to do and say right. when someone you love is going through a tough time. It's incredible. Really incredible. Well, thank you. I hope you're proud of yourself. I, you know, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you, we can be our own worst enemies and our own worst critics, but this is a this is a culture shift, and and and, and I, I wouldn't just say that it's a really big deal. So congratulations on fifteen years. Thank you. Are you you're back in the Bay Area? Uh, no, I'm in Los Angeles actually. Oh, you're in L.A. Mm-hmm. Even better. Well, we, you know, we're having that big conference coming I know, up, and we'd love I know. to have you there. Yeah, which would be a really big deal. And I know that we are actively promoting this. These are these are the things to do when you don't know what to do. Uh, empathy cards hashtag empathy cards emilymcdowell.com 15 year Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor uh, congratulations Emily McDowell thank you so much for coming on the show thank you so much for having me this was great this this was epic <laughs> all right and now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show the 359th episode of the stupid cancer show never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on itunes and following us on soundcloud broadcasting since 2007 the stupid cancer show is a production of stupid cancer the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org Coming to you from the chemo deck. And on behalf of my team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next on the exciting episodes of the Stupid Cancer Show. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.